Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Philemon? Philemon. Feel free to use the table of contents and open to Philemon. Amen. That's good singing. Y'all sound awesome this morning. Uh, Good reminders through music, all of who God is. As you were turning there, preparing your hearts for the Word of God, let me ask you a sincere, super spiritual question to lead off this morning. How many of you have ever been to Dollywood? I see those hands, right? All across the board. So, so every, somebody in every section across the sanctuary has, has been to Dollywood, right? There's a number of people. I don't know about the majority, but there sure is a lot. Follow-up question. How many of you that have been to Dollywood, while you were there, you had a personal conversation with Dolly Park? Not one. That's what I thought. I was trying to figure out this week, like, what if we have like 15 people that are like, yeah, we sat down and had fried chicken with Dolly Park. Not one that I saw. Sometimes we think our lives before God is to be the same. That we're in the world, we're in the world that God created under his name, but we really never expect his involvement with us while we're here. Like we're here under his name, his authority, his glory, but we really never expect him to involve himself with us personally. And why would he? I mean, it's God. He has plenty to do, or maybe he chooses not to do anything at all. It's it's God, the God over 7 billion plus people on the planet, and I'm just one of those folks that's a part of that. So why would God involve himself with me every day? While it's true that God is distinct from his creation, he is not distant from his creation. The Bible teaches that Almighty God is a personal God. He is an interested God, one who has involved himself in creation, and he is particularly involved with the people in it. In creation, in the eminence of God Almighty, God ministers to people and he deals with unbelievers. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verses 27 and 28, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and we move and we exist. In 2 Kings, there's a story of of a widow of a prophet. Her husband, who was a part of a team of prophets under Elisha, has passed away. And he, being just like any other regular family, left his wife at the time when he passed away, left her and their sons with debt. Debt to pay off that they were probably making payments on. We're not giving the whole story of why that was, but he had debt to pay. And when he died, because in that culture, the woman was not working and completely dependent upon the man, when he died, all of the debt was now in her name. The debt collectors told her that if she could not pay off the debt, and this is all in 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 4, excuse me, that if she could not pay off the debt, then her sons by law would belong to the creditors until that debt was paid off. They basically would become slaves. So Elisha the prophet, when she came to him for help, he said, how can I help you? And then when she told him, he said, what do you have in your house? She said, all I have in my house of worth is, is a bottle of olive oil. That's it. A bottle of olive oil. He said, do this. Go to your friends and your family, 
go to your neighbors and get all the containers that they've got. Get all the Tupperware that they've got. All of the jars, you bring it in, close the door behind you, and you begin to pour out this oil into those containers. Scripture says, by faith, she did what she was told. She goes in, closes the door behind her. She and her two sons begin to pour up olive oil into all of those jars, every single one of them. God miraculously worked on behalf of a widow. Scripture even says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is ministry to orphans and widows, amen? So God is ministering to a widow. She pours it all up in the containers. After it's done, she goes back to Elisha. Elisha says, awesome, now go and sell it pay off your debt and live on the rest. And that's exactly what they did. Why am I telling you this? One chapter before, Elisha the prophet was involved with the king of Israel as they were planning a war response to the land and people of Moab. So one chapter before, God was working through his people to affect the nations. One chapter later, God was ministering to one single widow and her family. I love passages like that in scripture because it reminds me that what I've got going on is underneath the care of Almighty God. What is going on in our heart, what is going on in our mind, what is going on before we got to church today? Before we have listened to the message, God cares about it, and the scripture tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord, for he cares for us. He is involved, he is imminent. In the words of one Christian leader, God's revelation to humanity is intensely personal. This is why the name for this month's series is Everyday Faith. Philemon is a brief book of the Bible that is written in the form of a letter. If you look at it right there, it takes up one page of your Bible. Just one page, it's one letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it's one that truly reinforces God's involvement in everyday life. This letter involves three people. The author, who is the Apostle Paul, the primary recipient, who is Philemon, and then one individual known by both of those named Onesimus. Now, I've been practicing their names all week long. The country twang in me wants to say Philemon, And I might say that. I wanted to say Onesimus. I Googled it. It's Onesimus. If you hear me say back and forth, just know I've tried my best. (laughs) Onesimus is actually the reason that Paul wrote the letter. He was a runaway slave who escaped a slave owner. And out from under his position, he left Philemon, the owner of him, and fled to Rome. And in doing so, when he got to Rome, he had either left his slavery position having stolen from Philemon, or he at least was leaving his obligation position that Philemon expected him to fulfill. When he gets to Rome, he, whether it be by desperation or divine appointment, goes to the Apostle Paul. Once he is there under the care and help of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, being driven by the Spirit of God and a man of ministry, leads Onesimus to the Lord. So a man that was a slave and a runaway slave who stole from or left his master high and dry has now run to the apostle Paul. When he is there, God saves him and forgives him under the blood of Jesus Christ. He has gone from sinner to saint. And Paul learns of the connection between Onesimus and Philemon 
And what begins is a work of reconciliation between the two. Now, I know this morning with as many people that are in here today, reconciliation is a topic that we need. Amen? Reconciliation, the restoring of broken relationships, is something that we at least need to entertain. Can I ask you today, right before we pray, that if you're not up for it, would you at least allow God's Spirit to speak to your heart? If you think to yourself, I've tried it before, I don't know how it's going to work, throw all that out for just a moment. Every situation, every scenario, underneath the authority of God's Word and the teaching of God's Spirit. Amen? This is a word about reconciliation. And out of this book, this one book, the Bible teaches that God's work in the life of three individuals also influences an entire church. Lord, we pray believing, God, that you hear our prayers because we are not separate from you. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been joined to you. Lord, when we pray, you hear it. And God, we ask, oh God, today that you would teach us, Lord, that you would mold us and you would shape us into becoming people that reflect what you care about and represent your character. Lord, teach us today, and God, we ask that your spirit would move amongst us. Lord, there are one or many today, Lord, that find themselves separate from you, not knowing if they are right or wrong or whatever with you, Lord. We pray that you'd make it plain to their heart and mind. And they would simply believe in Jesus and seriously turn from themselves and turn to you. Lord, for those of us that would call ourselves Christians, Lord, in the areas of our life where we need development, Lord, would you point it out, call it out, and Lord, work a change in us. In Jesus' name, amen. For the next three weeks, we are going to see God's work in the life of each of these three players in this very real play. We are going to see God work amongst them in very different ways. And the first that we will cover is Philemon, the primary recipient of this letter. Verse 1 says that he was a beloved co-worker of the Apostle Paul. The scripture says, and and there is no chapter, it's all chapter 1, but the scripture says in verses 1 through 3, it describes that he is a family man that he is married to Aphia, and likely he is a father. Most believe that the next name, Archippus, that it is his son, that he is both a spouse and he is a father. He is a co-worker to the apostle Paul, which means that he is a church leader. The scripture says that Paul said in verse one or, or verse, uh, verse two, our sister Aphia to our fellow, so, fellow soldier Archippus and to the church that meets in your house. He is an overseer of a local church. And so here's a note on the very beginning for leaders, leaders in your home, leaders in your place of business, leaders here at work. As the primary recipient of this letter, his response to the challenge from the Apostle Paul will set the tone for the response of all the others that he influences. What cannot be overlooked as we look at this is that Philemon was a slave owner. It should also be noted that slavery in this context was very different from the slavery that we understand in American history. That slavery in this context was very basic. It was a cultural norm, very different than what we've studied in our high school studies of American history. Slavery during this time was not directly connected to ethnicity. Slavery during this time was rarely permanent. Many lived better lives than those who were absolutely dirt poor by being in slavery. 
There were those that actually enslaved themselves as a way out of debt. They were there as a way out of debt. When the debt was paid off, they would move on. However, slavery was still not ideal. A, a runaway slave like Onesimus would by law be subject to his master's reckoning if it were to be so. That he could have been punished by death or, or by physical punishment, severe punishment for those that would escape their station and move away to try to find something else. Still, and listen to this, it's very important to make the distinction that slavery was allowed by God, not instituted by God. Everybody hear that? Allowed by God, not instituted by God. In fact, the only kind of slavery that is ideal is one in which the master is perfect. Therefore, slavery to God is the only model enslavement. So if you put all of this together, Philemon, through reading the letter, Philemon is a a leader of the Lord with a reputation of righteousness. And out of that reputation of righteousness comes a request of his generosity to Onesimus. But between all of that is a brokenness and a need for development within a leader for the Lord. Verses four through six, the Bible says, Paul said, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. A reputation for righteousness leading into his request for grace and pardon, the apostle Paul states what is true about the recipient. States what is true about his reputation. Did you notice what he said? He said, I keep hearing, I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. That I keep hearing means that that was his actual reputation. People were telling the Apostle Paul about Philemon, about how he loved the Lord and he loved people. These are the kinds of things that would have been said about him at his funeral. Have you ever thought about that? Have you actually ever thought about what would be said over your life when your life is over? For Philemon, it was his faith in Jesus and his love for people. I don't know if we can do it any better than that. Faith in Jesus, God's way of salvation, the object of our faith, the master, the savior, the Lord, belief in Jesus and love out of that love for people. Faith in Jesus means probably what you think it means, but it means more. Faith in Jesus here means that he relied upon Jesus, the work of the Son of God, for the forgiveness of his sin and to stand right before God Almighty now and in eternity. And while that is very important and super important for all of us in here, his faith was even more than that. And we know this because the word faith in verse 5, and I love this, the word faith in verse 5 actually means persuasion. Now let's read that again. And, and think about what it means. I keep hearing of your persuasion in Jesus. Have you ever been in one place and you hear the voice of a loved one in the same place, but maybe in a different room? You hear the voice of, of your spouse or your child or a loved one, somebody that you're close to. You hear them nearby, but they're not directly beside you. What do you do? You move to where they are. 
You are persuaded by the relationship and the sound of their voice and the intimacy between you and that other person. You are persuaded to move wherever they are. This is the kind of faith that Philemon had in Jesus Christ. He was not just a believer in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. He was a mover on behalf of the Lord Jesus because of their relationship. He was persuaded because he spent time with the Lord and knew exactly who the Lord is. This is all wrapped up in the word today. That Philemon's moral conviction, the movement of his life, not just his forgiveness, the moral, of his, uh, the moral conviction that he experienced, the movement of his life was towards the person of Jesus. He was the real deal, the whole thing. There's an old, there's an old hymn called Almost Persuaded. Now, I'm not going to sing it because we didn't sing that one very much growing up. Now, I don't know if I'd get it right or not. But I want you to hear the words of this old hymn called Almost Persuaded. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Almost Persuaded. Ladies and gentlemen, one day, in one way or another, your remains are going to be before a gathering very much like this one. What will the pastor stand and say on your behalf? Does your family even know whether you're saved or not? Will they be able to take the comfort of eternal life into their physical life as they remain here? And moreover, for you, have your, has your heart and mind been moved by the Holy Spirit of God away from yourself to the acknowledgement that you are a sinner towards the righteousness of God and that faith in Jesus will result in eternal life? Lord, I pray for all of us that it's not almost persuaded, but everybody persuaded. Paul didn't hope that Philemon was right with God. He knew it. And he knew it, others all around him knew it because of his reputation. This was his life. His life was moved by the voice of the Lord. What will others say that we were almost persuaded, we're really not sure, or that they believed in Jesus and loved people? Or will we leave this place with our loved ones wondering? This faith in Christ led to Philemon's second half of his funeral message, which is love for people. He believed Jesus with all he had, and he loved people. The love of God that he had received was the love of God that he distributed. One commentary said it this way, it is by faith we are saved, it is by love we are shown. That's a good word. He was active in ministry for Christ. Paul said of Philemon, your love in verse seven, listen to this, your love has given me much joy and comfort. My brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Your kindness has been a refreshment to the hearts of God's people. I want you to think with me on that word refreshed. Now, as of late, and, and I told our, one of our neighbors yesterday, because it was kind of breezy and cool, they're from California, had moved down here, and then they looked at me, I looked at them and said, how y'all doing? They said, we're doing good, got nice neighbors. It's, it's all going very well right now. I said, that's great. I said, but listen, it's September. Don't get used to the breeze, because that humidity is coming back. And, and when that humidity is here, people in the South know this, refreshment means a ton, does it? I heard a guy say one time, I said, man, how's that water taste? He said, it tastes like a steak is what it tastes like. It's awesome, right? 
Lately, my, my drink of choice in the humidity has been an Arnold Palmer. Now, y'all don't freak out. An Arnold Palmer is a mixture between sweet tea and lemonade, all right? Man, so good, so good. That, that, that lemonade, that sweet tea, re, re, I mean, it's refreshing. It, it revives the soul, right, in the humidity of the South. The hearts of the saints, now think with me about this word refresh. The hearts of the saints of God felt better. They felt revived. They felt restored when Philemon was around. Do you know folks like that? They don't even have to say a word because they have themselves been in the presence of the Lord. When they're in your presence, you just feel better because they're there. They bring a refreshing presence to you. Like it, it revives you, it helps you, it, it lifts you up. We all know people like this when we feel drained and down. Maybe we feel exhausted or discouraged. And when we get into their presence because they have been in the presence of God, they bring a little joy to the table. They bring a little bit more life that we can get up and walk on with. We need to think about these things, y'all, when we read the scripture and when we hear it preached because we can carry a reputation of lemonade or lemons. And one of those is refreshing and the other one's just bitter. Now, it's out of Philemon's reputation for faith in Jesus and love for people that Paul makes this appeal towards his generosity. Basically, Paul is not buttering him up, but he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's saying, I know who you are. Your faith in Jesus is real. You are persuaded by the Lord Jesus, not towards eternity alone, but in your real life that you live right now. I know that you are a, a faithful person who loves people, so I'm asking you to receive Onesimus and to show him kindness and to make him welcome if, in fact, he does get back to you. It's within this request that we see this man with a reputation of righteousness still has a need for development. There's still a little bit of brokenness there. Verses 10 and 11 Verses 10 and 11 says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Lord, would you take us the rest of the way and make it plain? And Lord, as our hearts are about to be challenged towards reconciliation, God, would you help us to believe that your way is better? In Jesus' name, amen. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. Paul had just mentioned his reputation. He had just specifically spoken of his kindness to God's people in verse 7. Now he is asking for his kindness to a new child of God in verse 10. The only difference is, is that new child of God is a man who had wronged him. Is a man who, who had had made decisions that affected him negatively. He, he's not the one that's easy to minister to. He's difficult. And now the Apostle Paul is calling upon a spiritual man to love and to show kindness and to welcome another child of God just the same. Even if you read Philemon without any commentary, you come away with the realization that Philemon holds a different and a demoted place in his heart for Onesimus. Even though there is good news that he is a believer, Paul speaks to him like, I know you're going to hear this, that he is a believer. You need to welcome him like he is. Because knowing what's happened in the past, you're not likely to do that. So, so what do we do 
when we learn about people, even good and godly people like Philemon, but then we see that he has a demoted and distant place for one child of God in his heart that kind of puts him to the side. What does that teach us? It teaches us this, that we can still be broken even if we are saved. Even if we are saved, we can still be in need of development. I'm worried that today's church don't believe that. I'm concerned the older that I get that God can't move me like he used to move me when he first got me. I'm concerned that my heart is not pliable like it used to be when God says, you need to get that out, that I'll get it out. I'm just telling you, full force up here from me to you. The older I get, the tougher it seems that the Lord can have all of me. And I pray that for our church and everybody underneath the sound of God's word, that the older we get, the more mature and more like Christ conformed to the image that we become. But what we see here is God pointing it out to a man who's a leader in a church, to a man that's a leader in his family, to a man who has a reputation of faith in Jesus and love for people, God and his home is dealing with this man on this issue. Have you ever noticed a, a wood board? Thank you, my man. Now, you may have seen these in high-budget props, by the way, at Lindsay Lane, high-budget props. You may have seen this in the floors of your home or the panels of your house. Have you, ever, have you ever seen, I'll just set it right here so everybody can get a good look. If you've ever seen one of these, wherever they are, even the cleanest of timber has knots. Even the best ones you've ever seen. And, and what are knots? Knots are visible imperfections. Knots are deformities. Knots are a dead spot. And I believe what's important to see here from Philemon is that because God is holy, God is interested in every single one of these knots in our life. Oh man, we got the good wood grain running all alongside them, but there's a few things in here that we're trying to keep for ourselves. And the Spirit of God says, you don't belong to yourself, young man. You've been bought and paid for. So those knots that God keeps pointing out He's doing so because he's interested in making it all wood grain without any deformities. Why? Because we're all so brokenness. Y'all, listen. The characteristics of God. What is the base characteristic of God? He's holy. He is set apart. And we, with the instruction of Scripture, are to become holy like what? Like he is holy. Philemon is a wonderful servant of the Lord. But he has not yet finished his race. And Paul is placing before him not just a problem, but an opportunity for him to demonstrate the love of Christ. And he's to demonstrate the love of Christ, not within a no-brainer situation. I need you to love your family. I know they said something ugly to you yesterday, but you need to love your family. Well, I can do that. I love my family. That's not what the situation is. This is not, he, God is not lobbing him a softball, if you will. He can knock it out of the park and everybody around him is just gonna be like, that's the way we should live. This is a difficult thing that he is dealing with. A broken relationship. Here's the deal too. We're not told all of the details why, but Paul is writing to him like he's gonna be mad and upset when he gets this, even though he knows Onesimus got saved. It's tough. This is a broken relationship. This is a stranger in, this is not just a stranger in need or a situation of a loved one that we would all respond to and be like, I'm glad I could help you. This is one of those where like, you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna help him or not. And we all get there if we're honest. I think if we all want to glorify God, 
We all want to glorify God in our thoughts, words, and deeds when we've got life like we like it. Man, yeah, bring him on in, sit him down. We're going to love him just the same as anybody else. He's done nothing to me. (laughs) So we're going to love him and forgive him for what he's done, and we're going to move right on. It's when our life is not like we want it, when we are made uncomfortable in our faith, To demonstrate faith, generosity, and kindness when we don't feel like it. To demonstrate generosity of kindness and grace and mercy when we are hurting. But you see, it's during these times when we are hurting, when we exhibit faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do what is right when we feel wronged, that God gets the glory because the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change our responses and our decisions, even towards someone that is difficult to love. And if you are under the conviction and realization that you've got some knots in your timber this morning, Just remember that these things are used every single day. Every day. So what we leave with is a request from the Apostle Paul. From the generosity of a heart who's been changed by God himself. Stick with me and finish with me. So so knowing all of this, and especially that Philemon has a reputation of righteousness. He has a real and right relationship with God. Paul asks, Philemon for kindness towards Onesimus. This kindness, the Bible says there, read it for yourself in verse six. I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. This generosity that Paul is calling for is not monetary. This generosity that he is calling for is is not a contribution to Onesimus of of some sort of resources through circumstance. No. The thought behind, your Bibles may say, the communication of your faith. Or as mine says, the generosity that comes from your faith. The contribution that Philemon is to make is a contribution of sympathy and of charity that comes from an empty bank that God put grace in. You may look in your account and say, I don't have enough of that charity, grace, and mercy to give you, brother. But what God and through Paul is saying to Philemon, you won't have it in your account, but because you're mine, I put it in your bank. You get it out and give it to him because I gave it to you. That's how you'll be able to give it to him. Yes, Onesimus has wronged him. Let's don't overlook that. Because some, t- some of y'all, seriously, haven't heard anything so far because you're thinking this. You don't know what they've done. Are you listening for them? You listening for you? Yeah, I've been through that too. You don't know what they've done. If, if every Sunday you think to yourself, he needs to hear this. She needs to hear this. If they're not here, then you are to hear it. If they are here, the Spirit of God's working on them, you don't have to do anything else. But we think to ourselves, how can I do this? How can we restore relationships? How can I extend forgiveness when I don't feel like it? And this is when we get to God because the first thing to notice is this. It's not like the Apostle Paul is letting him off the hook completely. There's an acknowledgement of wrong. Next week, in the next two weeks, we're going to see that and we're going to deal with it. Onesimus has wronged him. He's stolen from him. He's left him. But the situation changed because Onesimus has now been saved 
by God. His heart is changing. The good news that there is forgiveness and freedom from the penalty and power of sin is now on the inside of Onesimus. There is new life in Jesus Christ. Now, are you going to take new life from somebody that's been given it by Almighty God? You're going to doubt the salvation in somebody else's heart and life and your relationship when God has given you new life? And Paul is appealing to all of these things. Listen, when two Christians are at odds and married couples, if you're both Christians, you need to hear it today. Family members, if you're Christians and y'all claim to follow the same Lord and Savior, hear it today. Friends, coworkers, whatever it is, church members, If you're following the same Lord Jesus, hear this today. When two Christians are at odds, the basis for restoration is the standard of the Lord that oversees them both. It's the standard of the Lord that oversees them both. If you've done wrong, you need to admit to it. If you've done wrong, it should be a godly desire in your heart to make it right, to restore. And if you're on the other side of that, what the Spirit of God will be working into your heart because as we've looked at it, the Spirit of God works together with the Word of God to produce the outcomes of God. The Spirit of God is going to work in your heart towards forgiveness. This is a call to help someone who doesn't deserve help. But it's also a call to help someone who desires help. And you know, in the hallway of his heart, Philemon must consider that God has done the same for him. The grace and mercy of God was applied to Philemon when he believed. And now that same grace and mercy is extended to others. Jesus taught that forgiven people must forgive people. Now, make no mistake. Gosh, please hear this. Y'all, sometimes I'm just going to step away and and make it real personal. Don't take it personal unless it's personal. Sometimes I want to shy away from preaching hard things like restoration in relationships because I'm concerned for your feelings. God's not called me to your feelings. That's that's not why I'm here. In fact, it would be better for you to see restoration through according to the word of God. It will actually help your feelings more so in the end. And again, granted that both would yield to the spirit of God's leading between two Christians. Again, this is a call to help someone who doesn't deserve it, but who desires it. I want you to please hear this clearly because it's not going to let you off the hook. God desires in our everyday lives to put relationships back together. God desires forgiveness. He desires restoration, reconciliation. How do you know that? It's taught all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture. Y'all, listen, this is heartbreaking. I recently read on an index card a prayer request from a child, from from a little girl, and she literally wrote this on her index card. Please pray for my family that we will become close again. That may be the first time in a long time you've actually considered that the way you're handling all of this is affecting someone else. Someone else to the point that in their future, they're going to probably handle it the same way because you're giving them an out to do it some way other than God's way. How can 
and, and spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5, how can we be ministers of reconciliation, reconciling people in a broken relationship of sin to God and all of his holiness? How can we be ministers of reconciliation and yet we are known for and have the reputation for broken relationships? We've got to get it right. And one of the reasons we don't evangelize is because we keep looking in the mirror knowing that God is calling this out of us and we won't deal with it. So because we won't deal with our own restoration, we're not going to help you with yours. We know that you're broken. We know that you have a need for a Savior. We know that you need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life to oversee what's going on. But because we keep living in these knots, we are not going to help you with yours. Keep this in mind. The primary recipient of this letter is a man who is a husband, a father, a leader of a church. And the way in which he responds to this call to generously give grace and to reconcile a broken relationship is the way he can expect those he directly influences to do the same. If you are a person that's in a position where you came in this morning going, look, I can't go back and undo those things. They are very much on down the road and I can't move forward and go back and change that because here's where I am now. First of all, have you even told the Lord that? You gonna tell God he can't do anything? Is the scripture not telling us today that is anything too hard for God? Nothing is impossible. But it could be that he's not wanting you to go back and get out documents and flip those over and get back in. It could be that he just wants you to be a Christian in your relationships. He just wants you to treat people right that have wronged you so that the people around you that are looking to see your faith and the decision that you've made is actually credible and real. As we said earlier, it's likely in the hallway of his heart, Philemon must consider what God did for him as God's spirit is surely reminding him that God Almighty extended grace to him. But present in the same hallway of that heart is the fleshly desire to be off-putting to somebody who has wronged him. You know Philemon's just like us, that God's spirit is going, as soon as he receives this letter, Philemon is thinking to himself, Lord, you know and I know how I've treated him and how he's treated me. And he's wrestling back and forth between what Paul is saying to him as truth and the feeling of, I'd rather just slap him as talk to him. Like that's what's going on in the heart of somebody who is a believer. Paul says in verse 14, and this is where we close. I want you to hear this if this is something that will help you. I know that it will if we'll yield to it. Paul says in verse 14, I want you to help because you were willing not because you were forced. I want you to help. And now, now it's not even, now it's not even that he's like, look, I spared him. I didn't charge him. I let him come back. Now God is going, yep, you got this one marked off, but the motive of your heart is this one and it's terrible. So now God, it's just, I've told people this before. I learned it myself a while ago. Somebody asked me one time, do you, do you really think that God continues to do that, to work on each knot? And something I read helped me one time. It's like a garden. A garden has weeds. A gardener, so that all of the things that are supposed to grow, starts pulling out weeds one by one. And when he finds another one, he pulls it out. Why? Because that's competing for the things that are supposed to grow. So you got to get the other weeds out. 
And Paul, even the motives of our heart, Paul says in verse 14, I want you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. Later in verse 20, he says this, yes, my brother, please do me this favor, hear this part, for the Lord's sake. So how do you move on something that you should do, but you don't want to do? And how do you move from unwilling to willing? You move from your sake to the Lord's sake. You don't do it because of what you want to do and what you don't want to do. You do it because of what God says is right. Your considerations of the situation give way to his considerations, to the relationship. Restoration, forgiveness, reconciliation. These are the characteristics of followers of Jesus. Here it again. These are the characteristics of followers of Jesus because Jesus restores and reconciles our relationship to God. And because Jesus restores and reconciles our relationship to God, he now gives us the Holy Spirit power to restore and reconcile relationships to other folks. This is why Paul says to Philemon, yes, my brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. You do it because of how the Lord feels, because of the Lord's reputation. You do it for the Lord's purpose. No, you don't ignore the offense. You don't act just like nothing's happened. You trying to tell me today I should just act like nothing's happened? No. How about you get out of your feelings for just a second? No. Again, we're gonna deal with that later because there's gonna be a charge to the account that we'll see with the Apostle Paul. You don't ignore the offense as if nothing's happened. You don't pretend that nothing's been wrong in the relationship. Reconciliation doesn't mean that you don't address wrong. And it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that relationships are restored in a day. Again, I go back to that sitcom where the guy just screams out, I declare bankruptcy, and he thinks it's over with. That's not what reconciliation goes like. It's probably in every moment, by every day, sometimes by every minute choice to do things God's way and to believe that his way is better. It doesn't mean that everything is restored in a day. But the power of God and his faithfulness is put on display within relationships that are broken by us, but bound up again by him. This is everyday faith. God's spirit molding us towards a reputation of righteousness. This is everyday faith. Exposed areas of brokenness continuing to be surrendered to the Lord. This is everyday faith. Opportunities to extend the generosity of kindness, even to those who don't deserve it but those who desire it. Would you stand with me? Now, we're not done. This is the time where we all respond to what God is bringing up in our heart and life. If there are things that you need to be made right today with other people, I'm praying, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. If there are things that we've buried that we don't want to deal with, Lord, if there are relationships to be restored, I pray, oh God, for both sides, if they belong to you, to be open to believing that your way and your word is better. Lord, I pray over our reputations. For wherever we are now, Lord, I know that your spirit is working on our heart and mind on the inside of us to pull us to where we need to be. Lord, there are many in this place today that are, have confessed their faith in you. But it is my prayer that we would all be persuaded 
to move our life at the sound of your voice. Lord, I pray for those who are almost persuaded that today would be the day that they call upon your name, abandon themselves and go your way. Lord, show us the blind spots. Show us the knots in our life. Show us the blemishes. Lord, may we yield to the direction you're taking us. And God, we pray for reconciliation all across the sanctuary. We pray for reconciliation in relationships. Pray, oh God, for marriages, for families, for church family, for coworkers, all over this place and throughout this community to be restored one to another so that your glory would come to mind when others see it. God, work on us through this time of singing, this time of response. Lord, we open our altar so that people can kneel before you. Lord, we have leaders of your church here so that people can deal with what they're dealing with with someone who will help. In Jesus' name, amen.